Please grab a Bible this morning, if you have one, and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul has just completed a sentence that could be best described as majestic. This theological power keg, which occurs in the original Greek in verses 3 to 14, one whole sentence shows the vast nature of our salvation in Christ, past, present, and future. It unfolds the spiritual blessings of every follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and promises great things, not only now, but things to come. Paul barely catches his breath as he, as he dips his quill in the inkwell, if you will, and continues his letter in verse 15 to the believers in Ephesus. And completing the sentence in verse 14 must have been exhilarating for him as he glories in the wonderful riches of our inheritance in Christ. He says, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. But there is so much more Paul intends to write, you see, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so he continues in verse 15. I want to invite you to stand to your feet as we continue our study in the book of Ephesians and read in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 and following. This is the word of the Lord. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of God. This is not only the word of God. These are the words of the living God written for the benefit of you, the people of God. Let's pray together. Father, as we continue uh, to explore the wonders of Ephesians chapter 1, God, in my heart this morning are those who are discouraged or downtrodden, those who have lost their way somewhere along the way and need encouragement. I pray that today would be a day that they would be filled with encouragement as they hear these, these mighty truths from, from the Word of God. God, each Sunday we come in great expectation and eager expectation that you would do a sovereign work of grace in in our hearts. And I pray that today would be no exception. Uh, 
I pray, God, that you would give us uh, eyes to see the truth of your word, ears to, to hear uh, the mighty realities of your word, and that our hearts would be ever soft to hear and to comprehend and to soak in uh, what you would have us to hear this morning, to be encouraged with, to be challenged by. And so, Lord, may this be a special time here as we gather the people of God uh, to learn all that you intend us to learn in Ephesians 1. We pray these things in your son's worthy name. Amen. This morning, let me ask you, what is the condition of your soul? What is your, what is your state of mind? Have, have you come this morning in a, a condition where you would say, Pastor, I, I'm conflicted. I'm confused. I'm concerned. There, there are things that are bothering me. What are you wrestling with these days? What are the, the circumstances in your life that have, that have placed you at this place, in this moment, in this time, that have caused these questions to either torment you or bother you or disturb you? In this section of Scripture, in verses 15 to 23... Paul the Apostle expresses gratitude for the Ephesian believers, and he prays for them. He expresses gratitude for these dear believers in Christ, and he prays for them. I think it's safe to say that when someone expresses thanks for you and makes a commitment to also pray for you, that that fills your heart with large doses of encouragement. It it lifts your spirits. It breathes fresh life into your soul. It encourages you in your Christian journey. And that's exactly what happens here in our passage when Paul encourages these dear believers in the church at Ephesus. And my prayer this morning is that the same exact thing would happen to you. For God's word is not only directed to these first century believers in Ephesus, his word is directed directly at you, directly at your heart for your benefit, and for the glory of God. Now, a quick scan of the verses before us reveal that Paul's prayer for the Ephesians and every subsequent believer is weighty, is deeply theological, and is intensely encouraging. And so, as I began to study this passage and digest the the truth of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, I, I have to be honest with you. As I looked forward, beginning in verse 17, all the way to the end of this unit of thought in chapter 1, all the way up to verse 23, I was tempted to skip over what you might label as Paul's attitude of gratitude. Does that sound familiar? In verses 15 and 16. I was tempted to skip over some of this just very basic and encouraging stuff to get to the intense theological reality and the prayer requests that he has for the Ephesians and the prayer that he utters for us. And I learned rather quickly that such an approach would be a massive mistake. And so this week we will focus on first Paul's gratitude for the Ephesians that will surface for us in verses 15 and 16. And then next week, we will turn our attention once again to this passage, to this unit of thought, as Paul focuses his prayer for the Ephesian believers. The title of the message this morning is, Word Travels Fast. 
the exploding faith and love of the Ephesian church. I want you to see this morning as we approach this passage that Paul is, is just filled to the brim with gratitude for the Ephesian believers. And I want you to look with me at three important aspects of this gratitude that the apostle has for his friends in Ephesus. First, Paul's gratitude for the people of God is, is beaming with gospel-centered resolve. His gratitude for the people of God in Ephesus is, is beaming with gospel-centered resolve. I want to do something a little bit differently. I want to move forward and skip over just for a moment in verse 15 and have you look with me at verse 16. And you will, you will see the apostle beaming with gospel-centered resolve in verse 16. Here's what he says. I do not cease to give thanks for you. Now, I want to make several observations about this important point and allow Paul's gospel-centered resolve to, to impact you right where you are in your Christian journey. Notice several things. Notice, first of all, that, that gratitude is always a choice. Gratitude is always a choice, and it is a choice that is intentional. That is to say, gratitude does not happen by accident. Paul did not become a grateful person by osmosis. He was not sitting on the beach one day and all of a sudden he thought to himself, I'm really thankful for these people. It just didn't magically drop out of the sky. Rather, gratitude, you see, is a daily choice and it is an intentional choice. Now, you probably are aware by now that when the Apostle Paul is faced with a crisis, when he's faced with a situation, whether it's a, a physical situation or a spiritual situation or a, a financial need arises or anything else, his typical response is to be grateful. I want to have you listen to me, listen with, listen with me to what he says in Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 4. He says this, rejoice, you know this one, don't you? Rejoice in the Lord, how often? Always. Rejoice in the Lord always. I, I say it again, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. You see, Paul models for us here, and he models for us throughout the pages of the New Testament, that gratitude is an intentional choice. It is, a, it is a decision that we need to consciously make that I will be a, a woman of gratitude. I will be a man of gratitude. As a teenager, I choose the path of gratitude. Second, notice with me that gratitude, as we have just learned, is a byproduct of contentment. It's a byproduct of contentment. Listen now how Paul responds in, in two passages. In the Philippians 4 passage, he continues in verse 11. He says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. He says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. 
In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content. I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We learn that one of the great secrets of being a grateful person is to be a content person. Grateful people, you see, are content with their lot in life. Grateful people are content with the good gifts that God has given them. They're not always striving for more and more and more. They are grateful for what God with what God has given them. I learned this in a very vivid way the first time I visited the Republic of Belarus. As I learned that the the average income for a typical person in the city of Minsk was between fifty and a hundred dollars a month. I learned that these people survive on very little. I learned that many of them don't even have vehicles. I learned that many of them survive on a, a very uh, small amount of food. That it is, it is exceedingly rare to run into a, a Belarusian person who actually owns a home. Most of them live in a, a very small flat or an apartment. But having seen all of these things about my Belarusian friends, I learned that they are happier than most American Christians I know. And so the lesson became very apparent that gratitude is a, a byproduct of contentment. See, grateful people are content with their circumstances. They're content with the people that God has sovereignly placed in their lives. And that's why Paul, here in Ephesians 1 and throughout the New Testament, is quick to give thanks for the people of God in Ephesus. This is a man who is literally overflowing with gratitude. This is the portrait of a thankful man. And so gratitude is a byproduct of contentment. But there's a third thing I want you to see, and that is that gratitude is an attitude of the heart. Now, this is a bit of a review for those of you who were here a few weeks ago. When I preached a message, the the first message of 2018, when we stepped outside of the book of Ephesians and, and we journeyed through the first two verses of Psalm chapter 111. And took a challenge, an an attitude of gratitude challenge. Well, much like Psalm 111, we see, see here in Ephesians 1 verse 16 when Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Here's this word thanks or thanksgiving that simply means to be grateful. The spirit of thanksgiving is expressed to one of two people, God or people. This is where our spirit of thanksgiving is offered. It's either vertically to God or horizontally with people. Paul says in Philippians 1, I thank my God in remembrance of you. Every prayer of mine for all of you and making my prayer with joy because your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. In Colossians 3.17, he says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
In his letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 1, verse 2, Paul writes, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. In 1 Corinthians 1, 4, he says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so gratitude is, a, is an attitude. It is a condition of our hearts. Fourthly, gratitude practically now is expressed in words and is expressed in actions. Gratitude is expressed both in words and actions. Gratitude is conveyed with our mouths, first of all, when we express thanksgiving to God or when we express thanksgiving to people. And then gratitude is expressed also in our actions when we respond properly both to God and also to people. I probably don't need to convince you that gratitude is a matter of what comes out of your mouth. That's easy. But if you don't believe that gratitude is expressed in actions, for instance, just watch a child when that child doesn't get what he or she wants. It goes something like this. My grandfather, who went to be with the Lord a few years ago, he used to love to tease me, not only when I was a child, but when I was an adult as well. And he used to he used to tell me that when I was a child, he would like to once in a while, he would take a picture of me. And I, I was just dead set on on uh, being a grump when I was a child. Right. But boy, when grandpa would whip out that picture. You know, I'd get really happy. I'd get really smiley. Well, here we see that gratitude is expressed both by what we say in our words and also in our actions. Fifth, gratitude is a two-way street. What do I mean? Gratitude has the power to influence others that is deeply and intensely honoring to God. For instance, you'll find that when you express gratitude to someone, when you express thanksgiving to someone, more often than not, that person will respond with thanksgiving to you as well. And we have seen Paul express gratitude to the Philippians, for instance. In chapter 4, we find the believers in Philippi also expressing gratitude for Paul. Look at it with me. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. And we must have lots of devices today or lots of iPads or candles. I don't hear any pages turning. Philippians chapter 4, verse 14, he says this. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, gratitude here is a two-way street. As Paul expresses great thanksgiving for the believers in Philippi, these believers in Philippi also express their gratitude to the apostle. Number six, 
Gratitude, then, should be an ongoing reality in the Christian life. Turn back with me to Ephesians chapter 1. And when I say that gratitude should be an ongoing reality in the Christian life, we see two very important clues on the importance of this this reality in verse 16. Paul says, give thanks. This comes from a Greek word that is written in the present tense. And so when he says that I give thanks to you, that means I give thanks to you over and over and over again. It's a habit. It's a daily activity. The present tense suggests ongoing action. We see it again in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. That's the first clue. The second clue precedes those words, give thanks, where he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you. In other words, Paul makes it a habit in his life to be a thankful person to be a person who expresses gratitude for the people that God has placed in his life. I alluded a few moments ago to our time together the first Sunday in 2018, where I preached a message on Psalm chapter 111, verses 1 and 2. And if you're a guest here, once again, I I challenged the congregation not to a a six-day challenge or a 30-day challenge, but a a 12-month challenge. And it's quite a challenge. The challenge is that every day when we rise, and if you you want to do it in the afternoon or the evening, you can do that as well. But every day for the next 12 months, all the way to the end of the year, that you would write down at least one thing that you were thankful for. So I've been doing it every day for the last 21 days. And you know what I've discovered? It's we're 21 days into it, and... There's a lot of stuff to be thankful for. One of the things that I've learned is, is we're never going to run out of things to express gratitude to God for. And one of the great benefits of this challenge is that we begin to instill the daily habit of gratitude. I don't know if you're like me, but it becomes very easy to get grumpy and becomes very easy to be filled with ingratitude. In Whatcom County, it's very easy to wake up in the morning and lift up the blinds and go, you got to be kidding me. Rain again. Last night, before I went to bed, I said to Jereen, I said, I'm reading a really interesting book. She said, oh, really, honey, what's it called? I said, it's the biblical view on sleep. She thought I was kidding. I was not kidding. It's the biblical view on sleep. Some of you know that uh, sleep is not my gift. I I sleep horribly, especially when the winds are whipping around at 60 miles an hour. And so I arose this morning and I said to Doreen, I said, man, it's really exciting reading a book on sleep, the biblical view of sleep. I wish I could actually get a good night's sleep. And I'm prepared to preach a message on how to be Beaming with gospel-centered resolve that gratitude is an ongoing reality of the Christian life. As you commit to thanking God for something each and every day, my suspicion is that gratitude will become a, a, a normal pattern for you. And just imagine, as I challenged you a few weeks ago, if each of us arise each day and say, God, this is what I'm thankful for. And we multiply that out. And I think I figured it was like 50,000 things to be thankful for if everyone does this at Christ Fellowship. 
What a, what a celebration that will be at the end of the year. And what, what an amazing shift that can take place in the life of our church. Well, Paul's gratitude for God's people is, is beaming with gospel-centered resolve. But there's something else I want you to see. I want you to see that his gratitude for the people in Ephesus is also based on what he heard. It is based on what he heard. Here's what he says. He says, for this reason, in verse 15, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints. The word heard here comes from the Greek word akuo. And most of us can probably figure out what that word akuo, how that translates into the English. It means you walk into a room, you walk into a, a you go to the Paramount Theater in Seattle and you go, you say to your buddy, dude, this place has killer acoustics, right? That comes from that word, akuo, to hear. Well, the word means this. It means to receive something normally through your ears by word of mouth. And that's exactly what Paul has in mind. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints. Now notice, this is not the first time that Paul states that he has heard something about God's people. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ and the love that you have for all the saints. In Philemon, verses 4 and 5, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I Hear of your love of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. You might ask yourself, how, how did he hear about these believers in these, these Middle Eastern communities? Well, the answer is he heard by word of mouth. He would hear about the people of God in the marketplace of ideas. He heard things like this. He heard that the followers of Christ were making a difference in their community. Paul heard that the followers of Christ were, were impacting the lives of other people. He heard that the followers of Christ were, were making disciples. And that those disciples were, in turn, making disciples. He heard that the followers of Christ were involved in outreach. He heard that the Christians were fruitful and that they were striving to obey, obey Jesus. I believe that he was engaged in personal conversations when people would say, you have no idea what's going on at the, the church in Ephesus. This, this is incredible. Which leads to this great point, that there is an important link between hearing and gratitude. Let me explain. When I hear, when I hear that one of my children goes out of their way to reach out to someone, moms and dads, you just beam. It just fills your heart with gratitude. When I hear that my wife reaches out to someone at Christ Fellowship, it, it fills my heart with gratitude. When I hear that someone at Christ Fellowship welcomes a, a guest with open arms, it fills my heart with gratitude. Tom, when you sent me a text a few days ago and said, Pastor Dave, how's, how's Sue doing? I'm praying for her. It filled my heart with gratitude. And then when I got the second text, Tom, that said, I'm continuing to pray for Sue and for Daryl. How are they doing? 
How's Sue doing? That first and foremost, I was excited to receive that because someone in the household of faith was concerned for Sue and how she's doing in the hospital. But it also filled my heart with gratitude because people are excited about the condition of other people. They're excited to hear how they're doing and excited to hear how they can pray. When I hear about someone at Christ Fellowship who shows grace to a struggling soul, as a pastor, I'm filled with gratitude. Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians 4.15, For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. We do good deeds in our community, and that results in praise to the glory of our God. Some of you, I know what you're thinking. Wait a minute, we're not saved by works. And you would be correct. We're not saved by works. But we are saved for works. We are saved by grace alone. And faith, as the Reformers taught, is never alone. If you have been justified by grace alone through faith alone, you will have a desire to make a difference in your church. You will have a desire to make a difference in your community. And so the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, he is a man who is beaming with gospel-centered resolve. His gratitude for the people of God is based on what he heard. But there's a final thing I want you to see. I want, you to see, I want you to see that Paul's gratitude was also bolstered by their lives. It is at this point that we learn exactly what Paul heard in the marketplace of ideas. We learn exactly what entered his ear gate and what he heard about these believers in Ephesus. And whatever it was that he heard, it caused his heart to explode in gratitude. There's two things that this passage reveals to us that he heard with his ears. Number one, verse 15, he heard about their faith. He heard about their faith. Now, please don't be confused on the matter of faith. Faith is a state of certainty. And as I shared in Veritas this morning, we live in a culture where no one is to be certain about anything. I had some fun with the class, and I said, what do you do with the person that says, no one can be certain about anything? You respond with, are you certain about that statement? You see, it's self-refuting. This postmodern generation that we're a part of repudiates the idea of a certain faith, yet that is the essence of this word, a state of certainty with regard to belief. It means complete trust, and Paul says, I've heard about your complete trust. I've heard about your faith. Remember a few important things about this faith. First and foremost, faith always, always, always has an object. You say, what in the world do you mean? Faith always has an object. In this case, the object of the Ephesians faith is Christ and Christ alone. I don't know how many times I have talked to people who say something like this. Yeah, I believe. Have you ever had someone say that to you? I believe. I want, we, we could have some fun with this one. I believe. In unicorns? In chocolate milkshakes? In the Mariners win the World Series? There's a belief, right? You see, faith always has an object. 
It is inappropriate to merely say, I believe. I believe in what? In this case, it is Christ. Secondly, faith is never, never, never blind. Some of us are very familiar with this idea of the leap of faith. The leap of faith. A leap of faith is commonly used to describe the act of believing or accepting something outside the bounds of reason. That is to say, I cast reason aside, and with, with reason sent to the ash heap, I simply step out in faith, and I certainly hope that I don't land in the ditch. And so we take a leap of faith. But remember this, faith is never, never Blind. I believe it's time that we repudiate the notion of the blind leap of faith in the Christian life. We never take a blind leap of faith. Rather, we place our faith in whom? In the Lord Jesus Christ. Third, faith by definition always involves obedience. It always involves obedience. Paul in Romans chapter 1 says this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. For the sake of his name among the nations. There's something else I want you to remember about this idea, this notion of faith. And that is that faith is a gift from God. We know this very well here at Christ Fellowship. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Have you ever heard someone say, it was my faith? It was not your faith. It is a faith that is sovereignly granted by God. And then finally, I I want you to remember that faith always includes knowledge. This is one that I have received a a great deal of kickback on over the years because of our our propensity to be a a feeling-based culture. But faith always includes knowledge. It is not a mere feeling. When we place faith in Christ, we do so on the basis of what we know, or better put, who we know. And here's what we know. And we know this with absolute certainty. I love saying that in this culture of post-modernity. We know that Jesus is the second member of the Trinity who existed from all eternity. We know that Jesus left his throne of glory to obey the law, the law that we could never keep. We know that he lived a life that that we could never live. We know that he died a, a brutal death on Calvary's cross. And it's the cross that I deserve to hang upon. And it's the cross that you deserve to hang upon. We know that God raised him from the grave on the third day. We know that Jesus ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. We know that Jesus rules and reigns over all eternity, that he ordains everything that comes to pass. And we also know that every person who who turns from their sin and trusts the Lord Jesus Christ will be forgiven of all their sins and they will enjoy eternal life. Amen? It is this Savior, it is this Savior that the Ephesians have placed their faith 
in. Please don't forget that faith is our only path to right standing with the living God. Paul says this in Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, look with me again at verse 15. Paul not only says he heard about the Ephesians' faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but he also heard about their love toward all the saints. It probably won't surprise you when I tell you this word love is that that famous Greek word. This is the Greek word all believers are aware of, right? It's that agape, that agape love, which means to to have deep affection for someone or something. In this case, it is deep affection for the people of God. We have to ask ourselves, what does this love involve? What, what, What kind of agape is this? Well... Love, by definition, has an outward focus. It has an outward focus. Notice where the love of the Ephesians is directed in verse 15. It is a love that is toward all the saints. But love also has a Godward focus. When we love people, it is a a tangible expression of our love and devotion for God. And as I was reading this section of scriptures, I was studying this verse this week. It struck me that love is not only outward and otherward and Godward, but love is a powerful magnet for the nations. Did you know that love is a is a magnet for the nations? What do you mean? John chapter 13 says they will know us. How? By how much we know? By how big our facility is? By how many people come to our church? No, they will, lo- they will know that we are disciples because the love we have for one another. A week ago Saturday, I received a text message from Dan Bender. Many of you have met Dan Bender as he and Debbie were here not too many months ago. And he asked me if I would be praying for a young Muslim girl by the name of Lika. And, of course, I was really eager to do that and began to pray for, for Lika. And he prayed that he asked us to pray that Lika would come to church because that is a day when, when Dan would be preaching the gospel. And Dan and Debbie have, have developed this, this really, really great friendship with a 17-year-old high school student, this young Muslim lady. And they get together socially with her, and they have a great time together. I believe they're in classes together. And, and it came to the point in the friendship when they invited Lika to church. Well, last Sunday, I received a, a follow-up text from Dan with this new Photograph, And he said, praise the Lord, Lika came to church. He said, Pastor Dave, she calls me uncle, which I think is just a crack up. And she says, uncle, thank you for telling me. Thank you for teaching me about the prophet Jesus. And so would you join with Dan and Debbie and myself and and pray for this, this beautiful young Muslim girl, Lika, that the Spirit of God would, would open her eyes, the Spirit of God would, would open her ears, and that he would do a, a, a sovereign work of grace in her heart. 
One of the ways that God works, and it's one of the points of this passage, is that love draws the nations to the Savior. Love is a powerful magnet for the nations. And Paul's gratitude was bolstered by the, the lives of these Ephesian Christians. He heard about their faith in Christ and their love toward all the saints. And please remember this very, very important lesson. And that is that faith and love are not mutually exclusive. In other words, faith and love always go together. If I have faith, by definition, I must love. If I have saving faith, by definition, good works will flow and we will begin to impact our community for the glory of God. You cannot have one without the other. If you possess faith in Christ, you will demonstrate love to the saints supernaturally and to your community supernaturally. Here's the truth point. Paul's gratitude for the people of God in Ephesus is beaming with gospel-centered resolve based on what he heard and is bolstered by their lives. Now, I want to close with some practical encouragement, what you might refer to as marching orders that will enable you to emulate Paul the Apostle and his example. Let me give a few and then we'll close. First, let me encourage you to embrace a, a, a search and encourage mindset. Now, when you hear search and encourage, especially if you have a military background, you think, wait a minute. You got that wrong. It's not search and encourage. It's search and destroy. Kind of like a lot of Baptist churches. You with me? I can't believe he's wearing that. I can't believe she's doing that. I can't believe you went there. I can't believe you did that. It's, it's search and destroy. We're going to make sure that they're, they're living according to my standard. Right? But let me encourage you to, to turn that on its head. And let's begin to develop a, a search and encourage mindset. You see, Paul the Apostle was on the lookout, I believe, for saints who not only possessed faith in Christ, but also demonstrated love to the people of God and the community in which they lived. Likewise, we must be on the lookout for things that we can be grateful for, for things that we can express thanks for. And so I want to do it this way. And as I, as I put a short list of things together, I thought, this is a little bit dangerous because I'm going to leave someone out. And so if I don't say something about you, it doesn't mean I'm not thankful for you. But let me just express some thanks to a few of you. And Nathan, for whatever reason, you're the first person that popped in my mind. Nathan, I want to thank you for your faithful ministry to high school students on Sunday morning. And as I have had a chance to, I'll be honest, I, I brag about you. Lacey, I brag about your husband. He's a great guy. I think you'd agree with that. And there have been a few times when I'd be bragging about Nathan and someone would say, Nathan teaches high school Sunday school class? Wow. Christ Fellowship. We have a young man who is an elder who is instructing high school students. And he is a terrific teacher. So, Nathan, I want to express thanks to you for that. I'm also thankful for Daryl Holtrip, who's not here with us this morning. He's at the hospital with Sue. But I'm thankful for Daryl's faithful ministry as he serves as the, the point person for our ushers ministry. 
and also all the things that Daryl does behind the scenes and also for Sue and the great things she does behind the scenes. And I want to encourage you also to be praying for Sue. And wouldn't it be great if we just flood Sue this week with uh, either notes of encouragement or send her a text message and just let her know that you're praying for her. Chris, uh, Chris is running the sound this morning, and I, I actually didn't know Chris would be running the sound. So thanks for running the sound, Chris, because... So thanks for running the sound, but originally I wanted to thank Chris for his faithful ministry to junior high school students. When we first began discussions with Christ Fellowship, it's been over six years ago now, which is hard to believe, back when I was 22. um, I remember being so impressed that Chris was teaching the Heidelberg Catechism to junior hires. He's teaching the what? He's teaching the Heidelberg Catechism to junior hires, and um, I want to thank him for that. I'm also thankful for Bill and Kayleen and for Tim and Rhonda and Jordan as they minister to uh, young people. And not only Wednesday evening, but as they... You guys are crazy hanging out till past midnight on some Friday evenings. Thank you so much for ministering to high school students. Is Barb Meyer with us or is she ministering? Is Barb here? No. She's ministering. Yeah, she's she's busy. I want to thank Barb and I'll thank her personally once again um, for her ministry and also Laura Junkmas and the team of of people that help to reach out in the, the ministry to children. For Tanya Scheib, is Tanya not with us either? She She's working as well. See, it's interesting. The people you want to thank, they're doing what you want to thank them for. But Tanya has a vital ministry in the, the nursery that I'm, I'm so thankful for. And Jason, you're here. Uh, Jason, thank you so much for leading us to the throne every week. No frills, no compromise, no smoke machine. Just God-honoring songs that help us to worship in this church family. Thankful for Judy Toon and her leadership on women's ministry, not to mention her husband who served as the elder chair last year. And thankful for your friendship, Jerry, and all that you have done over the last year. Uh, Galen and Linda. You knew I was coming to you, and thank you so much for all that you do for Christ Fellowship. Some of you don't know, um, I think of Galen, what he does behind the scenes in the area of finances. I want to thank you for, I I shouldn't say back-breaking work, should I? That's not good right now. Um, But you know what I mean. Thank you so much for your uh, faithful service and, and Linda as well. Lenny. Even though you teased me earlier this morning, thank you for your tireless work to keep Christ Fellowship smelling good and looking good and being a, a great place for us to worship. And Lenny, this would be the most light-hearted thing I'm going to say. Thank you for laughing at my jokes. <laughs> because not most people look at me like, I, uh, what was the punchline again? <laughs> right, Maria? Um, I'm thankful for Aaron Holder and for April and their role on the finance or the, the uh, uh, facilities uh, ministry action team. Literally tons and tons of hours. In fact, if you go into the, what do we call that room now, Aaron? Please remind me. The word room you're working on, the fellowship hall. It's thrashed, but how long is it going to take to get unthrashed? No comment. <laughs> but Aaron and, and his... 
Yeah, yeah, we need volunteers. And so this sermon turns into kind of a sales pitch, right? That we need help in that area. But thank you so much, Aaron and April, for uh, your work in that vital area. For our office manager, uh, Carmel Cox, uh, I don't think I need to tell you all that Carmel does. Carmel does a million things under the sun. She does it for the glory of God. And I want to express personal thanks, Carmel, for your help uh, to me personally and also to Christ's fellowship. We can't forget Keith Cox and Keith's role on the the finance ministry action team. Great things are happening. We're going to hear more in the days to come. And so thank you so much, Keith, for that. I'm thankful for, there he is, Les Sperry, because Les climbs places that you couldn't pay me a million dollars to climb. Um, Les, I remember the first time I saw you scamper up a ladder and you told me it was no big deal. I still get nervous. And Patty, do you get nervous when he does that? You don't get nervous. Yeah. Patty, thank you for your uh, ministry behind the scenes. Uh, And by the way, uh, this next Sunday, we'll be having another Quorum Deo. It's Latin for before the face of God, where we come together here at 5 o'clock. Patty will be making a wonderful dinner for you. And then at 6 o'clock, we'll come into the sanctuary uh, to worship God, a special time together. There's another person who is not with us this morning because she is also ministering as well. I want to thank my wife for her faithful efforts at Christ Fellowship and all the ways she supports me. Now, I have, I have missed dozens and dozens of people, but that's just an example of ways that we can thank the people of God for all that they do at Christ Fellowship. That's what we're called to do, to develop a search and encourage mindset. Secondly, I want to encourage you to thank God often. Express thanks to God often. Thank him for how he provides for you. Thank him for the simple things. This morning, I woke up and as I was getting ready, I said, God, thank you, even though I didn't sleep last night. Ah, Thank you for a warm house and a roof that doesn't leak as it was just a a stormy, stormy night. Thank him for his gifts of grace. But most of all, thank the living God for the salvation he has bestowed upon you. One writer says, the president of Wheaton College says, the road to spiritual adultery begins when you stop reveling in the love of God. You want to become a spiritual adulterer? Then stop reveling in the love of God. Number three, express thanks to people often. And get creative. Write notes, send texts, phone calls, personal visits, uh, uh, rent a blimp. The sky's the limit, right? But learn how, learn how to become an expert in thanking people for what they mean to you. One of the things over the years that I have enjoyed, and I think I learned this from a few key people in my life, is to write a letter. And I know, I think I can speak for young people. Like you say, write a letter, and they're like, that's kind of like a cassette tape. What's a cassette tape? What's a letter, right? It's all about, and it's not even Facebook anymore either, right? Like old people use Facebook. What do young people do? Snapchat? With Instagram? And the old people are like, what's Instagram, right? So, I would say get good at writing a letter. A one-page letter is an, is, a, is an absolutely phenomenal way to encourage a brother or sister in Christ. Now, the fourth thing is not going to be on the screen for you, but I want to 
commend it to your attention and to have you remember it's the most important of all is to remember this, that of all these challenges that I'm giving you and all the challenges that I give you throughout the weeks is to remember that none of these things are possible apart from the gospel. You can't do any of it. You can't write a letter. You can't send a text. You can't help one another. You can't love one another apart from the gospel. For I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives within me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who died and gave himself for me. Apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. So this morning, would you remember that word travels fast? That you need to remember that when the people of God do stupid things, the community hears about it. But I also want you to remember that when you do loving things, when people live in a way that reflect the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the community hears about it. They hear about that. If the Apostle Paul came traveling through any wandered into the Nooksack Valley, would, would he hear about the faith of the membership at Christ Fellowship? Would he hear about the love that is being expressed to the people in this household of faith? Would he hear about these great things that we are called to do for the glory of God that are only possible because we are embracing gospel reality? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word that uh, propels us into the future. We thank you for your word that, that motivates us. There's so many things and ways that we can respond this morning, but I want to thank you most of all for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that delivers us from our sins, that delivers us from the wrath to come, but also enables us to love people to the glory of God that enables us to be a faithful people so that you would be honored. God, we know that we cannot do these things on our own. We don't have the abilities. We don't have the inclination. It is all because of Christ who dwells within us. And so my prayer is that we indeed would be a people of faith, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would be a people who would express love toward one another and and not only toward fellow saints but toward people in our community may christ fellowship in the days ahead be a, a lighthouse in a dark world may we uh, attract people to the truth because we are people of the truth we ask that you would be glorified here in this place and in our lives for it's in your son's worthy name we pray amen to be observing the Lord's Supper here this morning. And if you are visiting with us today, we would love to invite you to share in this with us. The only biblical requirement for doing so is that you are a believer in Jesus Christ. We take this meal together uh, to remember together what Christ has done for us. Mm-hmm.